Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll find that in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 10. And if you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of the Scripture tonight. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, Paul says, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therefore or excuse me, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We're not going to cover all that passage tonight, but I felt like I should not interrupt a sentence. That's one of those run-on sentences that you find in the Bible a lot. But this, this is really, to me, one of the most insightful passages in the Bible on the subject of spiritual warfare. We're in a battle. I mean, we're in a spiritual battle. And uh, sometimes people don't recognize, they don't think about that. And I would suggest maybe if we never think about it, it may be because we've already succumbed to the battle, the war that's around us. Christian life's a battle. Don't be surprised if it's difficult. Don't be surprised if, it's, if you feel like you're in a battle because you are in one. And when the, when the battles are the fiercest, what are we to do? And I just want to highlight a word in this passage that's repeated. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. That's the word I want to emphasize is stand. That you may be able to stand. Verse 13 it says, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And also in verse 13, having done all to stand. And in verse 14 begins with a simple word, stand therefore. So we're going to talk about tonight this theme for our new year, which is stand. We'll emphasize it as we always do throughout the year. But tonight I just want to kind of introduce it and uh, emphasize some things in our passage that pertain to it. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we thank you tonight for your goodness to us. Thank you for the blessing of being here. And Lord, just to sing praises with one another and sing praises to you. Lord, to fellowship together, Lord, to be encouraged by the participation of your people, Lord, to open up the Bible, 
to, to think about your will for our life, to rejoice in the progress of missions as we have tonight, to be personally involved, individually, as a church, and supporting these missionary evangelists that are following your leading and taking the gospel in some places into uncharted territory, that we can be a part of that. We're just excited about it tonight. We pray you'd help us as we study the Word together. Help us have open minds, open hearts. Lord, we don't know how much time we have left, but we pray that as we go through this year with your help and by your grace, that we would learn how to stand and be faithful in standing for the things we ought to stand for. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so this is, uh, this is going to be our theme for this year, this simple word of stand. So not all, as we always say this every year, it's not... We're not going to preach on it every service, Um, but this is my prayer, really, that throughout the year we can kind of reinforce many of the historical doctrinal positions, for one thing, that this church has held for years, the Bible uh, doctrines. And for those of us who've been around for a while, either in this church or another church, you've heard sound Bible teaching, it's important to be reminded of the importance of these things, but also for younger people, younger spiritually, new Christians, younger, physically younger in their age, that they might have a better understanding of what it means to be a Bible Christian. Now that may seem like it doesn't need to be said, but I think it needs to be said. In order to to stand for something, you have to understand what the concept is you're standing for. One of the reasons young people, one of the reasons young people sometimes grow up in church, and then when they get old enough to make their own decisions, they don't go to church anymore. It's not because they didn't hear the truth, necessarily. It may be that they heard it, but they never personally applied it. They never received it. They never understood it. They never made it personal for them. How How can you expect somebody to stand for something if they don't really understand it themselves? If they don't really embrace it themselves? So... That's part of what our theme is about. What does it mean to stand? Well, you could say that I'm doing it right now. Standing is sometimes used uh, as opposed to sitting or reclining. It just means to be upright. But here the word stand in in chapter 6 of Ephesians means to be firm. It means to hold your place. To be established. To stand your ground. The opposite of standing is to be moving, to always be changing, to always be repositioning yourself. And in the same book of Ephesians, if you turn to the left to Ephesians chapter 4, you know, Paul writes about the ministry uh, that he himself has and that others like him have. In verse 11, He talks about how God gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers these teaching, preaching, ministry gifts. For what purpose? In Ephesians 4, verse 14 says, They will henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But... Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. May grow up in him in all things, 
which is the head, even Christ. The opposite of standing is to be always shifting, blown about by every wind of doctrine. And for a new Christian, for a person who's never been taught, that may be acceptable, that may be understandable, they don't know any different. But for a person who's been in the Word for years and years and years, and and to take a, a particular doctrinal position, and then all of a sudden just change to another position, there's something wrong with that. What does it mean to stand? It means you firmly stand on the truth that God's Word teaches. There's another place that refers to this, and matter of fact, there are many, but go to 2 Peter, if you would, please. This was a passage that we emphasized when we were doing our study, 2 Peter chapter 3. When we did our study on Lot some couple of months ago, and what it's like to live in Sodom, but near the end of this epistle... 2 Peter chapter 3, we have this warning in verse 17. Peter writes and he says, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things. I have those words underlined in my Bible. It's important that you know these things. Seeing that you know these things before, beware. It's a warning lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own, what's the last word? Steadfastness. It was a warning. He said, you know these things, but beware lest let you be led away with the error of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. Steadfastness is another word for standing. It's being stable. It's being, it's being solid. We sang that song earlier tonight by standing on a solid rock. And back to Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's a little bit different word, withstand. And that word means to stand against, to, to resist, to oppose. In other words, it's not just a passive neutral position, it's an, it's an offensive and uh, active position. Withstand. It's like, it's like you would, a description if you were, if you were out in, in, in gale force winds and they're blowing against you and you lean into that, you stand up to the, the force of the winds that are coming against you. That's, that's what it means to, and that's exactly what we're taught to do. We need to, and to do that, we need to know what we believe. As we go through the year this year, we're going to take some special time to emphasize just historic Bible doctrines. I think it's important. Why we believe what we believe. Why we use the Bible that we use. Why we take the position we take as far as local church ministry based on the Bible. They're not just preferences. They're not just fads. These are not just fads. These are Bible examples, Bible principles we live by. They matter. It's interesting when Paul was writing to the Ephesians to stand. Look if you would please in verse 13. He says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to, uh, to withstand in the evil day. I have that circled in my Bible. The evil day. Not just a day, but the evil day. Now this was advice Paul was giving to the members of the church at Ephesus pertaining to the spiritual battles that they were going to face. 
As I said earlier, we may not always think about it, we may not realize it, but we have a spiritual adversary who relentlessly tries to discourage us, to defeat us, to destroy us. It's a battlefield, brother. Amen. What are we going to do when the battle is raging? The evil day, Paul writes about. The evil day. That's not just a day, that's an unusually difficult time, an exceptionally evil day. He said when the, when the day is darkest, here's what we need to do, we need to stand. Now, it's never been easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But we have it pretty easy in America as far as the political environment, as far as any kind of persecution we face. But it's still a challenge. What is the evil day? It could be an individual who's going through a particularly difficult test or trial, a time of warfare. But it could be an evil period of time. Paul wrote this epistle in the first century. Still in that century, Nero became the Roman emperor. And under Nero's reign, as the Roman Empire governed this area where Paul was writing about, thousands of Christians were killed in horrible ways. Read about it sometime. They, they would take the... They would kill animals and skin those animals and tie the hides of those animals onto these Bible-believing Christians and release them to wild beasts just to be either tormented to death or to be eaten alive. Some of the Christians were taken and covered with wax and made candles. And they would light and burn in the evening as a testimony to their, uh, the fact that they held to their faith. Those were evil days. I would call that an evil day. I was reading recently about the Albigenses in France in the, in the 12th century where there was a military camp campaign against them by Pope Innocent III to eliminate all the heretics, all those who rejected Roman Catholic doctrine. Hundreds of thousands were slaughtered in those mountains of France. Hundreds of thousands. It was an evil day. You fast forward a couple hundred years to the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists rejected infant baptism, were hated by the reformers. Reformers, people like Zwingli and John Calvin hated the Anabaptists. Thousands were burned at the stake or drowned. Because, for one primary reason, because their position on baptism. Young person, please hear me and think about this, if you would, for a moment. Imagine having such a strong belief on the doctrine of baptism that you would watch your parents burn to death or watch your children burn to death or watch your husband or wife burn to death. You would watch your loved ones perish in the flames before you would recant what you believe about baptism. That's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? These people were no different than us. They believed what we believe. They stand for what 
They stood for what we stand for. This was an evil day. Paul said in the evil day, we need to find the strength to stand. Now, I think a casual listener would agree with what I'm about to say. Bible doctrine, Bible truth has not changed. But what has changed is the strength of the convictions of God's people. That's what's changed. You know what a conviction is? A conviction is not a feeling. A conviction is a strong belief in something. How strongly do we believe what the Bible teaches? How strongly do we, do we, do we have that same kind of belief? Far too many, and I'm just taking the subject of baptism because it was such a relevant issue in those days. Far too many look at it like it's just not that big a deal. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't die over it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let my wife or children die over that. I wouldn't let them perish in the flames. And it's not that those people believed any different than we do as far as the doctrine itself, but they, strong, they believed it a lot stronger than we believe it. Now, who's, who, who do you think is right? Who do you think is right about that subject? I believe they were right about taking such a position, such a strong position. You know, I think it's really only when our faith is put to the test that we really see or believe or understand how strong our faith is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's easy to say I believe that. It's easy to say I would do that. But it's only when you're paying a price that we really see that. Now, I personally believe we live in challenging times. Uh, It's not like we're under this physical persecution, though. It's not like we're under this political persecution, I really believe if something pretty remarkable doesn't happen in our country over the next decades, that people could be facing similar persecutions in this country. I know it's hard to believe. It seems far-fetched. But there are a lot of people in places of power and authority that would be locking people up for hate speech, for saying that many things are said behind this pulpit on a regular basis. So... I don't know that's going to happen. I don't want to see it happen. But we still face our own kinds of temptations. Our own kinds of tests. Just the human carnality that we live with is a challenge. Our flesh that likes to compromise. As we mentioned in that series on this subject of the living in Sodom, I mean, the pull of the world is strong. And... I think about this often. I've thought about it today on more than one occasion, how you see what happens when a person or a family or a couple or a teenager, whoever, when they begin to to cave in to small little concessions and compromises, it just leads to more and more compromise. And, And they find themselves in a place they never thought they would be. And so the pull of the world is real. Plus, you add to that the compromising trend. We live in a day when it's just, just to be anti-establishment is 
is preferred, even among churches, even among professing Christians. And then you have the, the, the danger associated with lukewarmness, that Laodicean spirit. And then you have the abundance or the superabundance of false teachers and false doctrine that is just rampant in our culture. These are, these are real battles. And I, I, I'm of the persuasion that we're in a, a section of time that the Bible predicted would occur when apostasy, just a falling away, is just the norm. It's the new norm. I believe that. I believe we're living in that time frame. So I'm just saying, they're not knocking on our door saying, we're going to take you and burn you to the stake. But we have our own kinds of battles that we face. And none of us knows for sure what the future holds. We don't know that. But for Bible Christians, it's never been easy. But, but the question is, what causes, what causes people to change? What causes people to drift? What causes people to move? Just take on the Bible issue itself. Now, our church takes a strong position on the received text from which we get our King James Bible. And it's not about... It's, and by the way, more and more and more independent Baptists are, are, are no longer standing on that position. It's, 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 it, you may think that's rare, but I, you know, I don't know everything that's going on in the world, but I, I, pr- I pretty well keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on among, independent, among Baptists in general, independent Baptists in particular. But it's never been about the ease of reading. We've never said we read the King James Bible because it's an easier Bible or we, we recommend it because it's a harder Bible. It's about the, the manuscript evidence. It's why we hold to the King James, because of the translation and because God, God in His Word promised to preserve the Bible that we can have a perfect Bible. If you don't believe there's a perfect Bible, you don't believe the Bible. So why is it so many people who once believed that consider it insignificant, irrelevant, unimportant anymore? It's, it's, not, it's, it's so concerning what's happening among independent Baptists. Who once, we, we, this church was, was not always, some of you are new to our church, but this church was not always an independent Baptist church. We were a part of a convention. It was the way this church was for many years. The church wasn't originally a convention church. It became a convention church and was for 80 years before our church decided back in the 80s to cease our cooperation with the convention. And we didn't do that because it was popular or easy. We did it for a simple reason, because of the Bible. It's because of the Bible. Listen to me, young person. It's because of the Bible. I stood before our church over there in that building, and I exposed to them service after service after service how as a part of this convention that tens of thousands of churches participate, we join hands with them. We cooperate with them. We work together with them. Even though some of them 
do not believe the miracles of the Bible. They do not believe the inspiration of Scripture. They think it's okay to ordain women. I said, we're holding hands with these things. We're, we're violating biblical principles to do this. It wasn't easy, but it was right. Yet lots of people who've stood with us over the years, now they don't think that's important anymore. Somehow they think it's okay to join hands with people that believe women pastors or women preachers are okay and believe it's okay if you don't use the right Bible. It's okay that you believe. They join hands with people who believe. They unite with people who believe that God determined in eternity past that certain people could be saved, but other people could not be saved. And because God didn't choose them to be saved, they don't have a chance to go to heaven. They're condemned to hell. They believe that and they join hands with others that believe that. That's a serious thing to me. That's a, that's a damnable heresy as far as I'm concerned. Why do people change? Why do, they, why do people change from the biblical position that, that you're not to look on the wine, the drink, the boot, when it's moving, that it's wrong to look on that? Why do we... Why do we Move, why do people say, well, I once believed that, but now I've been enlightened and I think it's okay to take a drink? I want to tell you, I don't understand that. And whatever the answer is, I don't know all the answers, but I'm telling you one thing, people need to figure out what the Bible says and stand there. Because truth never changes. The truth of God never changes. It's not up for debate. It's God's Word. It's a dangerous tendency to always be moving and changing and drifting. Young people, I say this for your benefit more than anybody else. You need to figure out what the Bible says. Don't follow the example of leaders. Don't follow the example of men or women who basically are always just trying to find out what's trendy and popular. I'm not against things that are new. I'm not against methods that are new. I'm not against trying new things. I'm not against rearranging the seating. <laughs> but I find something very troubling about someone who would stand and preach one thing and five years later stand and preach something else. Because my guess is five years later they'll be standing and preaching something else. But truth never changes. <clears throat> it's a dangerous tendency. And so I want to emphasize this year the importance of knowing what we believe and standing. And standing. I read an article yesterday. It wasn't the first time I've read it. I've read it several times, maybe three times over the years. It's an old, old article. Part, most of you have probably read it. But for some of you probably haven't. But it, I read it yesterday and I thought that kind of pertains. I'll, I'm just kind of, kind of summarize this article. It was about a, a lecture that was given, a, a, was given in 1996. The con, it was the gathering of coaches, the American Baseball Coaches Association. They have an annual meeting. This happened to be in Nashville. 4,000 people were present. But there was a man who wrote about it. His name is Chris Berry. He was a coach, a baseball coach at the University of Portland for 18 years. 
And it's about the speech given by John Scalinus, who's a retired coach. And when, when this speaker came out, John Scalinus, who was, a, uh, he was 78 at the time, he'd been retired for a number of years, but he walked to the microphone and he had hanging around his neck on a string a full-size home plate. <clears throat> he spoke for 25 minutes and he never mentioned the home plate that was hanging around his neck. But then he said, I want to share with all you baseball people, what I've learned in my 78 years about home plate. He asked how many little league coaches were in the room, and a lot of hands went up, and he asked the coaches from the, from the podium, he said, how wide home plate is? And they said, 17 inches wide. And they asked how many high school coaches were there, and many, many hands went up, hundreds of hands. He said, well, how wide is home plate? And they said, 17 inches wide. Then he asked the college coaches to identify themselves. He asked the same question, how wide is home plate? It's 17 inches. Then he asked all the major league coaches that were there, and again, thousands of people were there, how wide is home plate? And they said, 17 inches. And then he asked this question, what do you do when a pitcher can't throw a ball over a 17-inch home plate? Do you change the size of the plate to 18 inches or 20 inches or 25 inches to accommodate the pitcher? The answer is obvious. He says, what do you do when your best player shows up late to practice? What do you do if your team has a rule about forbidding facial hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What if he gets caught drinking? Do we hold him accountable or we change the rules to fit him? Do we all, are we always going to widen home plate to make it easier? And he said, this is what's happening in our homes. This is what's happening in marriages. This is what's happening in our schools. This is what's happening in our churches. We keep changing the standards to make it easier. We keep accommodating people. We make the tent bigger and bigger. We make the, we make the baseball, the home plate, bigger and bigger. And he said this in concluding his speech. He said, if we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, the standard of what we know to be right, we're going to see some dark days. He wasn't just talking about baseball. He's talking about life. You know what? He was right. We don't, we don't need to always keep changing the standards. Redefining what's right. It's not about what's popular. It's about the Bible. It's about the Word of God. And Paul writes and says, no matter how evil it gets, and even if it seems like it's getting increasingly evil, just stand. Just hold your ground. That doesn't seem all that challenging to me. I'm 65 years old. I've been standing for some of these things for a long time. But for young people, that's a, that's a big decision to make, right? I'm going to find out what the Bible says. I'm going to find out what the Bible says, and I'm going to stand there. No matter who likes it, who doesn't like it, 
No matter how popular or unpopular it is, I'm going to stand where the Bible stands. Wouldn't that be a good position to take? By the way, that's, that's, what make, that's what identifies Baptists more than any other thing. They stood for the Bible principles of salvation, baptism, repentance. I mean, I, we've lived to watch Baptists be ashamed to use the word repent because certain people don't like it. That's sick. It's Bible. Find out what the Bible says and stand there. It doesn't matter what, whether it's popular, everybody likes it. God likes it. It's God's book. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to really elaborate on this, but we'll look at this later. But Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talked about how they could stand. One thing he says in verse 13, he says, Having done all to stand. Standing is not all we do, but standing is what we do when we've done all we know to do. It's not a passive position, as I said earlier. It's, it's standing against persistent pressure. <clears throat> there is and there always will be persistent pressure to compromise. Compromise is not a bad word if it means we're going to we're going to get along. We're going to, I'm going to give up some of my preferences. Maybe husbands and wives have to work together, have to compromise a little bit. You can't always have it the way you want it. But we're not talking, we're talking about doctrine. You don't compromise doctrine. <clears throat> we can't stand in our own power. Verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Whatever you believe about Jesus, you must believe that Jesus stood always for what's right. Amen? We can't overcome an evil day in our own power or might, but we can stand in the Lord in the power of His might. The Lord's our strength. And we stand for truth. Look in Ephesians 6. I'm not going to go down through this each part of this component of the warfare, the weapons of our warfare and our, our armor. But look, if you would, please, just the emphasis on truth. Look in verse 11, for instance. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles describes the deceitful methods and trickeries of the devil. The devil is a master of lies. But God is a champion for truth. Look in 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Verse 15, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the word of God. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See the emphasis there on the word of God? How do we stand? We stand on the truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. Buy the truth and sell it not. These are interesting days, aren't they? They are interesting days. Spiritual attacks will come. But I want to devote some time this year, throughout the year, just to emphasizing the importance of our Baptist heritage, the importance of our historic Bible position, and the importance of standing for the Word of God. I think it will be worth our time, worth our effort. And, and, and even when you know, I was telling the class this morning in the discovery class, I don't know how many times I've gone through those lessons, but every time I go through them, it encourages me. 
I never get tired of going over truth. It's good to be reminded. It's good to be refreshed. So it's good for us. It's also good for those who've never heard it. Especially good for our young people. Sometimes people look at folks like us and say, well, you just, you just get off on being against everybody. It's not about being against everybody. It's being for the Bible. It's being for the truth, right? I don't pretend. I don't pretend to have the faith, the strong conviction, the strong beliefs that many people had in our Baptist heritage watching their families as they were drugged from their homes and burned at a stake or drowned or tortured to death. And being so strong in what you believe that even that itself would not cause you to recant. I don't pretend to have that kind of faith, but I'm telling you, that's the kind of faith God wants us to have. These are not fairy tales. They're not fables. They're real people who had strong beliefs, so strong, that they would not compromise. To have that kind of conviction or commitment or belief or faith in something, you have to have a clear Bible understanding and know that it's God's position, not just the preacher's position, not just your mom or dad's position, but it's God's position. And if we're standing for God's position, it helps us be stronger and stand stronger. And if you're going to come to that place, it'll be because you choose to take learning the Bible seriously and making it your personal belief. This is what the Bible says. This is what my God says. And if God's of this opinion, then I'm going to be of the same opinion. Right? Amen.